As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined as always by Matt Fortuna. I just, before we get started, Matt, you made this point before recording. This is not an emergency podcast. This is just like a, a podcast in mid-January discussing everything that's happened since the end of the Fiesta Bowl, which is a lot. Um, starting with Matt Salerno going on scholarship. This, I this had podcast, that my notes. This, po- this podcast is nothing but a friend of Wapu Nation. Um but beyond that, we've got Harry Heastan's return, Mike Elston's departure, Chancey Stuckey's hiring, um, a bunch of early enrollees, Isaiah Foskey, Jason, and Justin Adam Malola coming back, Jared Patterson coming back, a lot of players coming back. Uh, I don't know where you want to start. We also have a program that doesn't have a defensive coordinator yet. Um, where do you want to start first? There, There's just a lot to unpack. You also covered the national championship game. Um, where Good Georgia, thing really, to make the Georgia really just stuffed that. that in your face because <laughs> you're an avid Georgia hater on this podcast. I am not. Let me clarify. <laughs> let, let's start off here. But you forgot Brian Mason also getting hired and yes. Jim Hickok not getting hired. Or John Hickok, excuse me, not getting hired. Um, and uh, Brandon Joseph and, of course, Blake Group or Groupie. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. The new kicker from Arkansas State. Both also have uh, committed to Notre Dame as transfers. Um, I'm not a Georgia hater. They did, like – they are the most talented team in the country. Like they did the fact that they, it took them 41 years is what was so frustrating. And now that they finally got that burden off their back there, it's going to be them in Alabama and you know, the same usual suspects every year, but it's just like, it's when a team does something that they haven't done in like 40 something years, like even when Clemson did, it, it was like this feel good story and everyone was going crazy. Like it wasn't a feel bad story, but it was kind of like, all right, good for you. You're the, Trust fund, baby. You took nine years to graduate from college. It was like Northwestern men's basketball making the NCAA tournament for the first time in a hundred years. Like it's about time. Like I'm happy for the people, those fans, especially in that state between everything have suffered more than anyone else until the past four months with the Braves and, uh, and the dogs. But, um, no, I am, I am happy for them. It was a great game. I mean, the score is not at all reflective of, of how tight of a game that was. Um, and it just, <laughs> We already knew that those two teams 
for the most part are playing on a different level than everyone else, but to see it up close, to just see how good though they are tackling in space, to see just how hard both sides had to work to just get anything going offensively for the most part. Um, I mean, that Georgia defense, I know we saw it up close in 2017, but uh, this unit was, I think, even better. I mean, they, they were just so yeah. crazy to watch, especially up close. It, it did remind me a little bit of that uh, when I think it was a two-point conversion when Bryce Young tried to run to his right, mm-hmm. and it was just like, oh, nope, that's not working. Uh, it reminded me of Brandon Wimbush trying to get to the edge on um, Rokon Smith in 2017, like, that is a that's a different level of talent. Um, the term "creatures" was thrown around by a former Notre Dame staffer about what Georgia has on defense. I think that's probably a fair what way. About, what about what they have a quarterback? Uh, yeah, that that would be more of like stars don't matter. Uh, to paraphrase our our colleague Ari Wasserman, but uh, I mean it was it was a great game. I did, I felt like these these title games are often referendums on like oh Notre Dame's talent level this that or the other I, I'm not sure that I took away anything new from it and just in terms of like wow Notre Dame's got a ways to go to close this gap I don't think it's a gap that's going to get closed entirely it's a gap that needs to get narrowed a little bit um but to get there I Marcus Freeman has to fill out a staff and sort of get his first Notre Dame team rolling um they d- he did get good news with Isaiah Foskey's return and Jared Patterson's return. I think that, you know, if we if we ranked the three most important guys to come back to Notre Dame in 2022, I would have gone Foskey one. You could make an argument for Austin two and Patterson three or Patterson two and Austin three. But to get Foskey back to go with Patterson certainly gives um, whoever the new D-line coach is a very talented group to work with. And we know who the new O-line coach is. Um, got a very established center to, to hold everything together. As far as the gap and, you know, the referendum or whatever you want to call it, we spent a lot of time talking about Notre Dame's receivers and really that being the biggest kind of eyesore, if you will, relative to who they should be competing with on a national level. Like Alabama, between those two injuries in the two games against Georgia, John Mechie and Jameson Williams, lost 2,600 yards of production through the air just this season alone. And this was on the heels of last year's team, which had, I think, three first-round picks at the position, including Heisman Trophy winner. And they still were a drive away from tying Georgia <laughs> and going to overtime mm-hmm. in the national championship game. Like, uh, like, Bama ain't going anywhere. This is a little like the 17 team that did beat Georgia, where it was all young guys. Like, Bryce Young's only a sophomore. He's coming back. He won the Heisman this year. Um, you know, Brian Robinson Jr. was a great story, but he was a senior running back who couldn't see the field until his senior year because everyone else was a lot better than him. I mean, it was not a vintage Alabama team, and yet through three quarters, they, to me, looked like the better team um, until Stetson Bennett decided to just go all Joe, Joe Burrow on them on the last, what was it, two drives, two or three drives um, of the game. It was pretty impressive. Yeah, tell me what is more alarming to you if you're, you're Notre Dame sort of assessing – where you need to go recruiting wise one in the, the recruiting cycle that Alabama signed Najee Harris and Brian Robertson, their name signed CJ Holmes and Jafar Armstrong or two in the recruiting cycle. When Georgia signs Zamir white and James cook, their name signed Jameer Smith and Sebo Flemister. Which ones? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean that's I that, don't know. that's the bad gap bad. that Notre Dame <laughs> needs to get closer to. Um, 
you know, and I, I think that, you know, I don't know where Notre Dame recruiting is going to go, how quickly it's going to go. I think it, it will get a lot better um, with a head coach who's more dialed into it. Um, but it's, it's kind of one of those things where like, all right, you're trying to catch programs where the head coach has been maniacally invested in recruiting for years. Uh, and if you're Marcus Freeman, you're trying to get caught up there. So it's, um, I think you watch those games, you think, all right, Notre Dame, I think, can block it. Like Notre Dame should have an offensive line good enough to sort of hold up. They certainly have tight ends good enough to hold up. They outran Alabama last year. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, are they going to have a Georgia defensive line? No, but they should have a very, very good defensive line. Um, you know, it's those skill positions where, you know, we saw Notre Dame lack in the Fiesta Bowl both at receiver in terms of maybe not quality, but quantity and at defensive back where I think they lacked quality and quantity. That's, that's where they have to take this. Um, you know, we can get into all, all the staff hires, but you know, it's probably a good segue in the chancy Stucky there because, you know, there was, I, I was told, and I think we reported that, you know, Notre Dame took a swing at Brian Hartline from Ohio state. They took a swing at Alabama's receivers coach, uh, Jamarcus Shepard from Purdue, who ultimately took the job at Washington. And then ultimately chose Chancey Stuckey over Jamarcus Shepard. Um, and I think if you looked at Stuckey's career resume, it's, it's short, but it's not dissimilar to Brian Hartline's when he was promoted at Ohio state six, maybe four or five years ago. No, um, yeah, you, know, you had a really great story on him up on our site today. Um, and like, I, I, I did not know anything about the guy before I heard his name connected to Notre Dame for this position, but reading the story and just, you know, when, when Tony Elliott, who's got a lot on his plate, picks up the phone for you immediately to sing this guy's praises. Um, when Dabo Sweeney is singing this guy's praises, I mean, I, I think those are really strong endorsements. And, and like, I think the resume, not to dismiss it, but, it's hard to compare a resume to resume when a guy played in the NFL. Like it's just different. There's a yep. credibility there. There's a juice there. There is a, you know, he walks in that room for the first time and everyone in that room will have either Googled or YouTube his highlights, or at least know he's gotten to where they all want to be. Mm -hmm. And they don't care really what he's done since then. They know that he was qualified enough to become the wide receivers coach at Notre Dame. And, and I think that's very impressive aside from the fact that he might drink more coffee than me and you both, um, <laughs> as you got to as well. Um, High respect level for the coffee intake of chances. <laughs> I think one thing to show him around town, I, that it didn't make that into the story. Um, and it, I wish that it did was about when I talked to Tommy Bowden about it, he mentioned how one of Stucky's assets is like, he already had his sort of dream sidetracked in college when he showed up at Clemson and was, I'm going to play quarterback. I'm going to play quarterback. I'm going to play quarterback. Like he had to get over himself quickly at Clemson and be like, all right, I can't play the position that I want, but there's a position where this team needs me and I can contribute. And then he moved to receiver and his career took off. I think that's, that's a story that I think will will play well at Notre Dame. I mean, you think about guys like Joe Wilkins or Avery Davis, where you know things maybe didn't go as well as they wanted, or Xavier Watts in reverse. Um, I think to have somebody who can relate to you on that level about like, all right, I had to change positions, but then I made the NFL at the back end of it. That all is 
that I think plays well. Um, you know, Bowden talked about how Stucky was, you know, he played a high maintenance position and deals with high maintenance players like receivers and DBs. I think he said like, you know, these are Mercedes and Lexus kids. They're not GM kids. Like there's, there is, there is some nonsense that goes with those positions and Stucky has navigated that he's been that, um, you know, he's developed through that and grown through that. So I think all that, that helps a lot. And, you know, ultimately it's, you know, you're a spot if you're Notre Dame, you're like who impressed you the most in the interviews between Shepard and Stucky was Stucky. And that's ultimately why he got the job. Yeah. And, and Elliot's quotes, I think illustrate that too. And I, I know Elliot a little bit just from being around Clemson a lot, like the guy's no BS. Like he's not going to praise a guy yeah. just for the sake of praising a guy. He's not going to hire a guy for, you know, just because he likes him personally. I mean, um, you know, that, that guy passed up a lot of head coaching jobs in recent years to, to stay with Clemson through their playoff runs and has been around, has worked for really good coaches and has hired really good coaches. And again, I think, you know, I think Jack Swarbrick said this to you on the day he hired Marcus Freeman. Um, Dabo Sweeney kind of became this like eye-opening figure for him in his search for an ex-head coach as far as not necessarily being a player's coach, but just being more involved with recruiting, being more mm-hmm. adaptable, being, you know, available. Um, and, and when you see whom Chance Sucky has worked for and where he's been professionally, um, I'm sure there are even some good story. You, know, you had a line in there about how he made a foray into Hollywood. Like there's probably some stories and lessons he will take from that, that he brings yep. into his receivers room. Um, so I'm curious to see what changes, you know, unfortunately it's a low bar to clear, at least in the recruiting department. Um, I do think Alexander actually did a re- pretty good job of developing those guys he just i agree did not recruit them and get nearly enough of them um and which has put them in a really tough situation right now i mean your roster breakdown for 2022 he essentially said like if not for the covid bonus year like what are we even looking at here on yeah the and, roster? and it's i mean that really is davis because like technically wilkins and Lindsay could have come back anyway mm-hmm. um you know without the covid year but like that's not like you don't hear a lot of good receiver depth charts that are stocked with graduate students. Like that's not, you know, it's a position where if you're good enough to play, you play right away. Like you look more like Lorenzo styles did. Um, You know, that's, that's where Notre Dame needs to go. You look more like Michael Floyd did, or you're impacting the depth chart a little, a little bit like, you know, Corey Robinson or Will Fuller did. That's, that's what Notre Dame needs. Like the, the fact that you're, you're relying on guys who have been around the program for five years now is not, you're not suddenly going to jump 43 inches. Um, you know, because if you're good enough to go, if you're good enough to go pro, you go pro before your fifth year, you often go pro after your third year, but, um, that's just not where Notre Dame's depth chart is at, at wide out. So they're, they're fortunate that they could get Wilkins back Davis back, uh, Lindsay back because it's a depth chart with no fourth year seniors and no third year juniors on it, which is really hard to get your head around. Cause that, that is a, one incoming freshman on top. Of yeah. That. And like, one incoming, <laughs> fre- it, that it, it was not recruited well or managed well by Dell Alexander. Ultimately that's why Notre Dame needed to make a move. Um, a position that was managed well in recruiting, but maybe not developed as well as it should be offensive line. Um, you had the Harry Heastan return with Chris Watt. 
that is, and I talked to Mike McGlinchey about it today for a story. I think when whenever they announce it, I'll have that story ready to go. But I don't know if that's out there yet. I mean, Watts expected to come back in a similar role. To, yeah, uh, um, to what he did two years ago. But, but I don't know if he has any GA eligibility left. <laughs> yeah, I think more of an analyst type of thing. But like the the he stand return, I was a little like one. He's a great great offensive line coach. I was I was interested if there would be any sort of like a you know, you can't go home again dynamics there. Like the first time that he was, was here was, was pretty magical. The it still is his team. home. He still lives there. Yeah. That's a good point. Good point. Um, you know, 2012, 2015, 2017, those were, those were fun ass kicking offensive lines to cover. Um, how that all meshes with Marcus Freeman. We'll see with Tommy Reese. I don't think there's any doubt that that will play very well with Reese, but, um, McGlinchey said like his like former offensive linemen from Zach Martin on down are already figuring out when they're all coming back to campus uh, to work with the players, to hang out with them. Uh, and it just is like he the way McGlinchey talked about it is just like this is like the pride of Notre Dame has been restored by Harry. He stand here, um, you know, and it's like you he watched. I said, you know, it's like. I asked, like, I'm not asking you to dunk on Jeff Quinn here, but, like, what did you see when you watched the offensive line? He's just like, you know, the fact that not everybody saw the game the same way, um, you know, not everyone worked together and, you know, had this sort of same mission and, and went about it the, with the same mannerisms. Like, that really stuck out to McGlinchey. Um, and he's like, that's all over now. Like, now it's... Now it's sort of back to the Harry he stand way. Otherwise, you're not going to play. And you know, I sort of asked like, what is what was sort of like the the fundamental drill or the technique drill that stuck with you most from he stands time? He's like, every one, like he every single thing sticks with me. And I don't know if you saw, um, there's a Green Bay Packers receiver. Um, there's a, a video on Twitter that sort of made the rounds. I'm blanking on his name all of a sudden here, but like played at Louisville, I think. Um, and he was asked about like how he practices. And he's like, you know, you see a lot of these receiver drills where players will just sort of like, they'll do these fancy footwork drills that don't actually apply to the game, but they look good while you're doing them. And he's like, he stands the exact opposite of that. Like he, everything you do in practice applies to the game and it may be very repetitive and it will beat you over the head, but that's the way he stand coaches. And that I, I can't help, but think that Notre Dame's offensive line will take a, a big step forward next year with him. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, another one where I think the bar is unfortunately pretty low, although the talent is there to be molded, um, for lack of a better term. I mm-hmm. mean, two true freshmen start in the bowl game and go the length of the game and hold up pretty darn well against a really good defense. Um, and now they're getting tutoring from you know the, the godfather. I mean, the, arguably the best offensive line coach in the nation. I mean, there are a lot of big-time programs that inquired about Harry Houston's availability in recent years when he was sitting out. Um, and he told them all, like, I have no interest in Notre Dame through a combination of, you know, his experience there still living in town. I think familiarity with the caliber of players that go there and what's needed to succeed there, at least up front. Um, that was the one that ultimately brought him back in. And, you know, I know that staff is really excited. Uh, I'm sure the offense linemen are really excited until they get on the field with him and then <laughs> slightly are terrified, but then they're going to get paid in three years and say, thank yeah. you, uh, paid a lot, um, as you've seen. The Zach Martins and Ronnie Stanleys of the world um, uh, get get extensions at the NFL level, but I mean that was the biggest one. I think you know DC is really big too. I'm not going to minimize that, but I think it's a little less big when the head coach is a former DC. Um, offense lines one at least in Notre Dame, you've got to get right, and I think there's little doubt that Notre Dame got it right here. Well, I mean, you, you do have to get both right especially after watching the Fiesta Bowl, uh, yes. which is probably another good segue into Mike Elson's departure to Michigan, which is pretty shocking to me. Um, I don't know if it should be, but it is. Uh, based Michigan on or him stuff. leaving? Him leaving. Um, Mich- Michigan less. Well, I mean, Michigan is shocking in its own way because like the head coach there is like, is Jim Harbaugh going to be there? I don't know. Right. Or Bruce Feldman has reported that that's, that's possibly no. Um, that's that's a weird time to jump into that. But uh, I mean, his commentary on National Signing Day about you know his family and staying in South Bend and you know how much they love being here and his daughters wanting to go to Notre Dame. Like it's like okay, you know that's. I felt like it was. Um, I'm at a point in my career. Well, yeah, yes, I want to be a DC. I know it's probably not going to happen here, but for the work life balance the players that he gets to coach the players he gets to recruit here, all of that would be enough to be like, all right, I'll just, I'll stay here. And this might not be my ideal work situation, but uh, it's a good, it's a good place to be. And I think for him, I don't know how much the Fiesta Bowl had to do with it. I'm assuming quite a bit, you know, if, if Notre Dame plays lights out defense in the Fiesta Bowl, does the world look a little different to Mike Elston? I think probably. Um, does it? I mean, they play lights out, everyone says good job. We're hiring a new DC. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but it, it just, I think the way that game went, it was pretty easy to tag him as the reason that it didn't go very well, which I don't think is entirely fair. Uh, but I think after that game, he just sort of walked off the field and it's like, all right, you know, I'm ready for a new challenge and I'm not getting it here. Um, and I, I can appreciate that. It's like 12 years is a, absolute lifetime in college football coaching. So that's, that's, that was a luxury that, um, 
you know, Notre Dame is not going to get with many assistant coaches. I think that if you took Elston out of the equation, the average lifespan of a Notre Dame assistant coach here is probably 2.75 seasons. Um, it's not a lot. So that ultimately I think Notre Dame got a lot out of Mike Elston. And even though the depart, it's, it's never easy to depart. Um, it's a hard way to do that. That would be one departure where I think Notre Dame would be like, all right, Thank you. Like, nice work. You you took a position group that was, I mean, the narrative about Notre Dame's defensive line when he came here was, why can't you recruit defensive linemen? Is your defensive line ever going to be good? That, that was Nobody, every position when, when he came. Yeah, to. but well, not quarterback. Um, True, but and not receiver. But like at defensive line, it was just like Notre Dame was a million miles off where it needed to be at, at defensive line. And, and I'm not saying that overnight that changed and it got exactly where it needed to be. There was there were some ups and downs along the way, but since 2018, maybe 2017, but certainly since 2018, they've been in a healthy spot. There have been seasons where the defensive line has been stronger than the offensive line. Which, 2012, they might have been the best in the country. If you look yeah, back at that you, roster, you just you would never ever have predicted that in 2010 when they arrived that. Notre Dame's defensive line could be better than its offensive line, but there have been seasons where that's been the case. And Mike Elson deserves a ton of credit for that. Yeah. I was surprised because I think he tweeted, you know, some version of I'm coming back mm-hmm. that week when everyone was either coming or going when Brian Kelly left. And I was really surprised to see that. Um, now Mike did fly down to Baton Rouge. He met with Brian Kelly. Like he had a job waiting for him at LSU that he ultimately decided against taking and he came back to Notre Dame, which, you know, I think family was the the primary reason over that to not leave South Bend, but I was still surprised just because, you know, he was attached to the hip with Brian Kelly for the last 18 years at three different stops. And, you know, as good of a coach as we think he was, he never moved beyond a position coach in 18 years with a good body, his biggest believer, as his boss. And I just didn't see a path to that happening at Notre Dame with Brian Kelly, no longer there, which made me surprised that he came back, but he came back. He spoke glowingly of the place on signing day. Um, you know, Marcus Freeman thought enough of him to entrust him with play calling duties for uh, the Fiesta bowl. And again, I, I think if that game went really well, I don't think like from my understanding, they're always going to go outside for a defense coordinator. Even yes. if that game went really well, um, I don't think that would have changed things which would probably make Mike Elson even more upset and, you know, just trying to use logic here um, of like, why didn't I enter shot? So I don't know. I mean, the, the timing's weird. Um, the place isn't, it's his alma mater. Um, it's close. You know, the family thing I think is minimized, you know, you're not going to Baton Rouge, you're going a couple hours down the road to Ann Arbor mm-hmm. in a similar environment. Um but I was surprised he came back to begin with just because of the dynamics of everything that had happened. Um, but, you know, I, I, it's hard to, to say that either side didn't get a whole lot out of this deal over the last 12 years. Oh, no I doubt mean. about it. Well, I think that's the surprise. It's like if you had said Mike Elston was going to not be on staff next year when Marcus Freeman was promoted head coach, I'd be like, yeah, I, I could totally see that. But then when he tweets out that, you know, I'm coming back with the photo of the defense lineman and signing day press conference are like, Oh, all right. You know, this is, this is sort of running counter to what college coaches often do where, you know, you're sort of looking for the job first and you figure out everything else later. Um, 
So that, that to me is still a little bit of a surprise. And also it's just like, okay, you can go to Michigan where Aiden Hutchinson and David Jabo are out the door. Uh, your head coach is a little bit a quirky dude to put it mildly, or you can stay at Notre Dame where you have Foskey, Adamalola, Adamalola, uh, a really good recruiting class put together. Like, I feel like Notre Dame is a better job from a position coach, but if you're going to go to Michigan and there's some promise about you being a DC in the not too distant future there, then, then I completely get it. Um, Cause that's, that's sort of itching a, or scratching a professional itch is what I'm trying to say. Um, I mean, you, that Elson's had for quite a while. And I get that. I, I totally respect that. If you killed a Michigan over the next year, two or three, and you've proven yourself to be one of the top D line coaches in the country at the two biggest brands with probably the two biggest networks in all of college football, that also uh, boosts your candidacy to be a DC somewhere. He's um, like the a next generation of Greg Madison. Notre, Michigan and Notre Dame, that means Elston will ultimately coach at Ohio State. Glad you didn't say Ed Warner on the offensive yeah. line. Uh, no. Yeah, yeah just, I mean, I, it was – the timing was surprising, but I just – I don't know. I, I, I mean, last year when they hired Marcus, I was hearing people in the Goog saying, well, I guess that means Elston's gone. He didn't get it. And that was – let's see. Freeman, Lee, Elko, Ben Gorder. That's four full-time DCs. Brian You're Kelly, kind of Greg Hudson in there. No, because Mike Elson was actually the real DC. Yeah, exactly. And Greg Hudson was there. Um, <laughs> that's four full-time DCs, three coming from outside the building that Brian Kelly hired um, over Mike Elson. And look, which we're all, all were good hires. They're all good hires, but like we're all human. If I'd be a little peeved too. If Adam Hansman decides to hire someone else to do the Shamrock tomorrow <laughs> and says you two are staying on in a different role. We'd, we'd probably have a little FU build up in us. Like, yeah. I mean, it's everywhere. Um, so I just. You're not doing a Mac-focused podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I get I get all of that. Um, I just. By the way, it wasn't for lack of effort. Brian Kelly tried to a couple times. I will say that. Right. I just, I, I just sort of view it as. I was talking to our colleague, Bruce Feldman, about this yesterday. It's like college coaches. It's a weird industry that I think you have a very bizarre perspective on the professional world because it's just a very bizarre profession. Like if you and I, if you said, Hey, Matt, uh, in this scenario where we're no longer doing the shamrock, we're doing a Mac conference football podcast, but you're making $600,000. You'd be like, all right, you know, I I'll, I'll, Maybe I'm already making that, Pete. With the yeah, maybe contract. you are. I don't know. I don't know the terms of your contract. Uh, but you'd be like, you know what? That's maybe not 100% what I want to do, but I'm well compensated. I have a young kid. I have a mortgage to pay in Chicago. Like, this is not the, this is not the worst thing in the world. Um, that, that part of college coaching to me is a little bit odd just because – I think that you get in these jobs where you're well-paid, you like the people you work with, like you, you like the players you're coaching, you like the institution where you're employed. Um, that doesn't always carry the day. Um, you know, and look, it didn't carry the day with Brian Kelly, I think, for the most part either. I think that he liked a lot of things about Notre Dame, but ultimately took the job at LSU. So it just is um, – the timing of it is not great, but the, it never is um, – 
but I, I sort of keep coming back to the guy was here for 12 years. You just say, thank you. Appreciate your work. Good yeah. luck to you at Michigan. I think that's, that's probably the proper response on that one um, as it, and probably easier to give that response, even though he's going to Michigan, than it will ever be for, to give that response to Brian Kelly for what he did over his 12 seasons here and breaking new Rockies record. Mike will hit up uh, Notre Dame to uh, scout Ohio State after week one since Mike's got him in uh, week 12 next year. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That uh, probably be some good. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how much intel will be passed back and forth there, but certainly that, that call will be made. Um, I don't know. Was there anything interesting about, I guess, Notre Dame's roster comings and goings that that sort of struck you? Um, and I guess this is probably a good time. Brandon Joseph, the yeah. transfer from Northwestern, you're – you're way more plugged in with Northwestern than I am. What what was sort of the vibe around there about his skill set and his decision to leave? You know, the, the decision to leave, I, I've heard this from a couple guys, was you know, a lot of these academic-minded programs that aren't having the success on the field are getting raked over the coals in the portal. And after a 3-9 season, Northwestern kind of looks like Exhibit A for that right now. I mean, this guy was an All-American as a freshman. I mean, he was phenomenal. Um during the 2020 season for these guys and was good last year too. I mean, he is an instant game changer for that Notre Dame secondary, not on the way of Kyle Hamilton, but like when you're losing Kyle Hamilton and you saw that unit without Kyle Hamilton against Oklahoma state, obviously you need uh, an experienced superstar back there. And that's exactly what Brandon Joseph is. I mean, he's a really, really good player. I think he was number two on our portal rankings yes. of available players. Um, and Notre Dame went and got him. Um, and, you know, hopefully for their sake, they'll be making one or two receiver additions in that realm as well. Probably won't be as good um, relative to the rest of the receivers as Brandon Joseph is as to the rest of the safeties. But he's a really, really good player. And that's that's a home run get for Notre Dame. I, I think it's significant, but not game changing that he's an undergraduate transfer. There were, there were, there were not rules at Notre Dame that prevent that from happening. No. It's just complicated. Uh, and the fact that you, I think Notre Dame can go to Stanford. It can go to Northwestern. It can go to Vanderbilt, Duke, Wake Forest and find undergraduate transfers that make it, um, that sort of hit their, hit their criteria. Like at Austin Jones is a former four-star running back at Stanford that entered the, the portal this week. Like that's, that's a guy Notre Dame could could kick the tires on if it wanted to. I don't know if they do. I don't think right. that they do. But um, that's there's nothing that can stop that would stop Notre Dame from doing that. Um, and I think you get a guy that fills a, a really serious need position, as we saw in the Fiesta Bowl. They don't have enough safety talent that can cover. I mean, we've all seen the pick of Justin Fields guarding. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, it won on the end zone against uh, Gilbert, I think. I, I blank it on the Ohio, the Ohio State receiver. I remember the name. play. I just can't remember the player. I mean, it's I just was... like Notre Dame doesn't have a safety who can make that kind of play. Um, they had one, but you know, when he hurt his knee against USC, that was that was sort of it. The, it's hard to find safeties with sort of man coverage skills, but Brandon Joseph has it, and that um, you know, it's kind of a walk-in day one starter for that group, even even at a position where they have four guys who have started. Or play Absolutely. significant minutes. I want to go back to the staff thing real quick because we still don't know who the DC is going to be. And I only know one name who's still like not available, but who they're interested in, who it could be. And I don't know if you have any more to add to that, but John Heacock from Iowa State was um, a guy who was involved, who interviewed with Notre Dame from 
everything I heard impressed them. Uh, but ultimately staying at Iowa State, I know Derek Mason is on the radar, former Vanderbilt head coach, was the D.C. at Auburn uh, this year, uh, was the D.C. at Stanford during some of the glory years of Stanford uh, before he ended up moving on to become a head coach at Vanderbilt. What do you think they do there? And does this change a little bit with another position open on that side of the ball as far as a package deal or given maybe a little more free reign to whoever they do hire to come in? I think that it would, it would change it if it was Haycock because you'd be like, all right, you can bring your defensive line coach from Iowa state with you. Um, who is not like a huge name, but has been there for a very long time. I wouldn't say that his track record of development is like off the charts, but if you're going with somebody more like Derek Mason, um, then, then I think you sort of have your pick of defensive line coaches, whether that, you know, could you go to Tyler Stockton um, and say, Hey, you can be co DC here and coach the defensive line. Yeah. yeah I think you could do that. And I think Stockton would be more than willing to listen uh, do you go with Larry Black, who was a GA here, went to Toledo? As you remember, Toledo basically bottled up Notre Dame's offense, and I think they had eight tackles for loss in the game against Notre Dame this year, uh, but was recently hired by Clark Lee at Vanderbilt just in the last month. Um, would not be a shock. You know, coaches don't leave jobs after one month regularly, but it does happen. Autry Denson. This would be one of those times where maybe that would make sense. Um I, I would like to think that Notre Dame will have sort of its pick of defensive line coaches that they don't, that you don't end up hiring. Like I think Stucky as receivers coach makes a lot of sense on a, on a staff with he stand and John McNulty, um, you know, Reese is younger, but been in football forever. I think on the defensive side of the ball, a little bit more experience would play well. The the I mean the recruiting chops are still essential. Like Chris Rumpf was, I think it was with the Bears, but as experience at Clemson and Alabama and I think Texas, you know, somebody like that would be like, okay, that's that is a guy that's going to get in some recruiting brawls for you if if he's Notre Dame's defensive line coach. Like that, those kinds of chops would be welcome. And I think a little bit of experience. Um as well. Like I think that experience would, to me would be a little bit more critical on the defensive line at this stage with the way the defensive staff is put together than it was with Stucky at the receiver position, the way the offensive staff is put together. That makes sense. I just, I mean, obviously there are names out there and Notre Dame should have their pick of top tier candidates, but um, it's hard for me to, to not get behind the idea of Tyler Stockton if both sides are interested. Oh God, in I would back. love it. Um, and I don't even know if he, I mean, he's at Ball State, which like he's doing a great job there. He's a young DC there. He's very up and coming. I don't know if you need to entice him with a BS co DC title to, mm-hmm. to get him to come back to his alma mater because he's going to be making a lot more money as a position coach at Notre Dame than he's yes. making as a DC at Ball State. But he's done really, really good there. Um, I mean, they won the MAC a year ago. Um, he's, I don't think he's 30 yet, which I guess he'd fit right in on this staff, but, right. um, another guy who's like coaching most of his career. I mean, he was coach. I saw him at a camp years ago. He ran into him. I barely recognize him because he lost a hundred pounds since he was playing, but he was there for Western Illinois. I think like he's been yes. a little bit everywhere. Um, so he was far. At Connecticut for a minute, I think as a GA under Bob Diaco sounds about right. Yep. And um, he, uh, I mean, yeah, he's, he's like 
he didn't have the greatest playing career. Like he barely got on the field at Notre Dame, but like a lot of times those are the guys who end up being the best coaches. Like right. they learn football another way and they learn to love it another way, despite not getting the glory that everyone, you know, the starters or whoever gets. So um, that would be a guy I definitely would keep an eye out for, but I'll be curious um, what they do decide to do uh, at that position and at DC, because, you know, I, I don't know. Like Derek Mace was never presented me as this like home run can't miss guy we're targeting. Um, but I do know with Hecock out of the picture, he was the one named candidate I had been given from multiple people there. Um, yep. I imagine there are others, and there may even be others who get into the mix now that it's still a little more open than we thought it would be at the start of this day. Yeah, it's I mean, is this is this a moment where you take a huge swing? if you're Marcus Freeman and like try to get like a Jim Leonard type, I don't, I don't think he would leave. He turned on Packers. <laughs> yeah. I also don't think there are a whole lot of like big swing type DCs even available. Like Here's I, one. Um, I don't know if he's available, but I, I, you know, last year Aaron Suttles came on our podcast and said, he'd be surprised if Pete Golding was still at Alabama after 2020. And he is here in 2022 now, but uh, you know, could you get him? Yeah. I don't know. That, that would be an interesting one. I I feel like Mason would be a really strong hire. Um, the experience is there both at a multiple high academic schools. Um, you know, he's only been at Auburn for a year, but it was in the SEC for, what, eight years, seven at Vanderbilt, one at Auburn, if I'm not mistaken. Like, Sort of understands what the snake pit is like. Um, also understands how to manage like the high academic types with the Stanford Va- Stanford Vanderbilt combo. So linebacker base, which is what Notre Dame needs, needs and has a lot of experience running defenses. Um, which again, that was what I think Notre Dame sort of got exposed a little bit in the Fiesta Bowl, where not having somebody who can like turn the tide of a game while it's happening, um, that was a skill set that they lacked. So I, I would think that would be something that Derek Mason would bring to the table. Also, I mean, what did he hold Alabama to like 10 points or something last season? Like, that's pretty good. I, You're I bearing the lead that. here. He once challenged Brian Kelly to a fight, which <laughs> these days in South Bend makes you a conquering hero. <laughs> at, the, at the time, it was like, oh, kind of poor form Derek Mason. Now it's like, oh, Derek Mason. I mean, it's like, Maybe he was ahead of his time. Derek Mason almost won at Notre. He almost won at Notre Dame. Yes. (laughs) In a year, Notre Dame went undefeated. Oh, my goodness. Tyler Stockton almost won a week earlier or a week later that same year. Was Stockton on that staff already at that time? I think so. Uh, I think. Yeah, it's kind of getting the weird 2020. No, the 2019 band back together. Or was it? No, 2018. 2018. Yeah, it was 2018 because those were the games that ultimately made Ian Book the starting quarterback and turned him and put him on the track road to be the all-time winningest quarterback that back. in school history. I just looked it up. Uh, Stockton got to Ball State or later. I apologize. Okay. Would yeah. have been fun, though. You know what would really yes. be fun? Ed Ogeron's open for business, and he's got expertise on the D-line. There's a trade. Can you imagine? Like, That's a great trade if you get him as like not a head coach. <laughs> We're like, gonna we'll give you Brian him. Kelly. We'll take or Sharon for Brian Kelly. Um, yeah. And yeah, now him that, and Marcus Freeman. Marcus Freeman could be his boss the year after 
<laughs> Ed was almost Marcus's oh boss. Oh my god! I mean, he did like Ed Orgeron. Uh, it did connect well with uh, Marcus Freeman's family as well when he went down for the interview there. Like I, I was told, like oh, they love Coach O. Like really nice guy, um, big personality. Like obviously a great defensive line coach. Loves to recruit. Not sure how well that would play at Notre Dame, but like. Who thought a uh, Irish Catholic from Boston would play well in Baton Rouge? I mean, it's uh, is it playing well? <laughs> we're, all, we're all open to new ideas at this point, Matt. And Ed Orgeron would be a hell of a new idea for Notre Dame. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. By the way, I will say one thing in Brian Kelly's defense. I thought it was hilarious when he went on the ESPN broadcast of, what was it, the Texas Bowl, whatever else he was playing in against Kansas State. And he leans into the joke and says, I'm from Boston. I don't have an accent. I don't know what an accent is or whatever he said. And he's getting roasted on that because it's a cool thing to do now, make fun of Brian Kelly, which I get if you're a Notre Dame fan, but it was a lot more than Notre Dame fans roasting him. Look, the guy doesn't have like, the best delivery or, or dad humor, as we've seen from the execution joke to the family bit. I thought that was actually pretty funny and like in on the joke. Maybe if people watch the clip, they'd feel that way. When you read it in print, it looks kind of stupid, but I don't know. I, I'll give him a pass here. I thought that was pretty funny. He does. I think this is sort of one of his underrated skills. He may not come off well in the moment, but like, 48 hours later, or in this case, two weeks later, like he can make fun of himself. Uh, and it's actually kind of endearing when he does. Uh, that's not a skill all multimillionaire head coaches have. But I mean, you saw like I would joke with some of our other beat people here, like the three stages of Brian Kelly. Like there's the post game Brian Kelly, where he's like a raving lunatic and ready to bite your head off. And then there's the day after press conference on Sunday, Brian Kelly where it's just like really terse and kind of jerky. And then by the time you got to him Tuesday, he's just like jokey, having a good time with like, ah, wasn't that a crazy thing that happened over the weekend? Like he gets over stuff quickly and is able to sort of make fun of himself. And I, that's not, that's not something every head coach can do. No, we'll, we'll see how that plays down there. If he doesn't get off the hot start and he's got a lot of work to do. He will. He's not going to get off to a hot start. He's not going to get off to a hot start there, but like the guy knows how to win football games, especially football games you're supposed to win. And at LSU, outside of Alabama every year, like you're supposed to win a lot of them. I think he'll do fine. I don't know if he'll read Alabama and win a national championship and they fire coaches who do win national championships down there, but multiple. Um, I think he'll, he'll, he'll figure some of it out. I, I think he will too. It's, it's there's almost like too much narrative. Like I have a hard time just keeping up with Notre Dame. Now I have to keep up with LSU uh, and also my like side chick Vanderbilt. Like there's just a lot, it's <laughs> a lot of college football to watch moving forward. Like I'm sorry, Chuck Martin of Miami, Ohio. I just don't have time for Max. What about anymore. Michigan now with Michael? I just, God, it's just a lot to take in. Um, so I, 
Vanderbilt. That's the first time in the history of the English language I think Vanderbilt's been referred to as anyone's side chick <laughs> in any context whatsoever. Yes. My editor Eric Single will appreciate that. Like that's right. I, I would joke with him last season like Vanderbilt was really hard to watch because I never had the station that they were on. Like literally, they were hard to find to watch on on television because they're on. CBS you know what? Sports so was Network. Notre Dame for one game last year. Yeah, that's true. But uh, it there's just going to be a it's going to be an overwhelming amount of football narrative for Notre Dame fans to follow and Notre Dame beat people to follow. Cause there's just the, the Michigan thing is just like all on top of it. Can you imagine if Jim Harbaugh leaves and then like what happens with Mike Elston that is he's the defensive coordinator there or is he Michigan head coach, Mike Elston? Like let's, let's get crazy here, Matt. I don't know. Does Bill O'Brien or whoever their next head coach is, Luke fickle, Matt Campbell. Do they want to keep him? I don't know. Um, there's a lot to follow. Imagine if they were still playing each other. Narrative God. with that. That would be fun. Yeah. There's it's I don't want to say like I never like to rush through the offseason because I need it to recover. However, with Notre Dame opening at Ohio State and the LSU stuff happening, there's it's gonna be an awesome, awesome college football season in 2022 for reasons beyond Notre Dame playing Ohio State and playing in Las Vegas and ending up in LA against Lincoln Riley and USC and probably Caleb Williams at the very end. Like that's, it's going to be a banger of a football season uh, for people with either direct interest in Notre Dame or sort of like tangential interest in Notre Dame, which gets you to LSU, which gets you to Vanderbilt, which gets you to a handful of other places. I'll one up that and say, because of the coaching change, at least for Notre Dame's sake, this offseason is going to be exciting and crazy because there are so many stories. <laughs> going to be. It already is. It, yeah, well, it's January 13th. we got a long way to go between now and Columbus. Already exhausted. And there are a lot of people to write about and cover. I mean, it was – I, uh, you know, you see everyone in Indianapolis for a big game like this. Like Father John was there. Jack was there. They are there for playoff meetings. But I'm sitting down eating in the press box pregame and um, Doug Lay Maurice – from cleveland.com longtime ohio state writers there sits down next to me and we're talking and i'm like oh yeah like Notre Dame, ohio state next year and like oh yeah you've covered ohio state for like ever what's marcus you covered marcus freeman right and he's like i wrote a story on him in college about his goal of being an athletic director one day and i'm like mm-hmm. well i don't know if he made the right or wrong choice but he, he made something pretty <laughs> impressive um that was an athletic director at the age of 35. Uh, shout out to whoever baked him the Vans cake, by the way, on his birthday. That was really cool. Oh, um, <laughs> I I heard through my uh, baking sources that uh, <laughs> equipment manager Chris Bassick was in charge of procuring the cake. I'm not saying that he baked it. I don't think that he did. But Bob Diaco. Sorry, you said baked a cake, and I mean no. <laughs> Bob Diaco. <laughs> Marcus Freeman tasted the cake. Like, is there, a, is there chili powder in here? Like, this is... This is a very confusing cake recipe, but uh, equipment manager Chris Bassick was the one that brought that into the office. It was it was very well done, kind of on point with uh, Notre Dame's now 36-year-old head coach. How 36? I remember that because my birthday is the same week, and I think we – I just remember looking that up because he got hired right around his birthday last year, and I was, like, looking up, and we were doing a po- emergency, an actual emergency pod um, <laughs> during uh, – during that, so I wanted to get that right. One more, and this is like really going down the weeds, but um, Mike Elson was teammates, and I think he might have even been college roommates at Michigan with Scott Leffler, who's the head coach at Bowling Green. Job that Leffler got, and Elson, I believe, interviewed for a couple of years ago. 
Yes, a job that Leffler got and then hired Brian Van Gorder as his defensive coordinator. Hired him as his D-line coach. The DC resigned. Or he hired him as he didn't hire him as his DC. Oh, he, right. Was it, hired it him as Pelini? something else? Was, it someone, was, a, was a Pelini was involved in there? I, I can't remember. I think you're right. Yeah, of course. Pelini or Petrino. Like it's got to be one or the other, right? It's ne- there is a number of uh, things. 2023 Michigan plays Bowling Green. Don't know if we'll our friend Scott Leffler will still be there by then, but no, Mike Elston may be the new Bowling Green head coach oh. at that point. Wow. Or the Michigan head coach. Who knows? It's college <laughs> football. I wouldn't rule anything out. It's 2022. Um, yeah, I don't know. If what the before we wrap up, like the last cup from the Fiesta Bowl with our last podcast to today. I mean, has sort of your opinion of the trajectory of Notre Dame football under Freeman changed at all in the last two weeks? Not necessarily because there's still a lot of dominoes to fall. Mm-hmm. Um, I was excited about the hire. I'm still excited about the hire. Um, you know, the, the, the game, the Fiesta Bowl, I think was a needed kind of sobriety test for everybody as far as like, okay, like just because Brian Kelly's gone doesn't mean you're going to go 12 and 0 every year and now recruit better and beat Alabama. And I, you know, seeing the national championship game up close was a nice reminder of like what a different sport the SEC is playing from, from everyone else. But um, I wouldn't say too much has changed. No, like I, I was, I was excited before. I'm still excited. I want to see what they do with DC and D line coach. Um, I want to see what they do with the portal. Um, so far, so good in that department with Brandon Joseph, but you got to find a way to get more bodies in that receiver room. Um, and I don't know how you do that. Cause I just, yeah, I don't know if there are any top tier receivers in the portal. I'm sure there are, but like, I don't know if there's a Brandon Joseph in there right now who has Notre Dame written all over him the minute he puts his name in there. Um, so I'm curious to see what happens with that. Yeah, I am. I am too. They they need a Brandon Joseph at receiver, and you know, I heard rumblings that they were a potential destination for, um, you know, a, a receiver who's not in the portal at all. Um, and I'm not sure he will be, but you know, that they were they were sort of working on higher level prospects or or wanted to be. Um, and it would be, you know, they were open to undergrads uh, in the same way they're open to Joseph as an undergrad. So that they they need to figure out something. They need to find a Kevin Austin. Um, you know what? May, and maybe that's you know maybe maybe that's a a jumbo receiver like a Trig from USC I, who plays tight end a little bit. I don't, I don't know, but um, they have to do something there because I, I think just sort of rolling forward with what they have is really shouldn't be an option because um, we know they they just need more bodies and they need more talent in that room to to hack it. I also saw our our friend of the pod, uh, Greg McElroy, there as well. Oh, eagerly waiting his shamrock bump to like Alabama OC or something. If uh, (laughs) if Bill O'Brien, when Bill O'Brien leaves, Um, the other one we got to address this just because we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we didn't. And I aggregated all this so you dear listeners don't have to. The way too early top twenty (laughs) fives. Notre Dame's place in Stuart Mandel's fifth, Pat Forty's ninth, Joel Klatt's ninth, Brett McMurphy's twelfth. Uh, Mark Schleybaugh's sixth. I tried to talk Stu into like seventh or eighth because um, I didn't. Notre Dame as a top five team was like, mm, not sure if I would go that far, but Notre Dame as a top 10 team, I absolutely would. Um, like it's a really talented group, but 
you know, we've talked about this over the years on this podcast. Like once you get past three or four, like who's fifth is sort of imit- the difference between fifth and ninth is, is, is all not, as all we saw again, like, yeah, we can, and have it's like, look, you've got, when Notre Dame is really good, when they have a chance to make the playoff, they 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 sort of quote unquote win with draft declarations or returnees. This was a very winning off season in that way with Foskey and Patterson. Even though you lost Austin, you add Brandon Joseph. You can end if you can add a, a top flight receiver, then that offsets Austin. But you know, I think you know whether Notre Dame is fifth or ninth or twelfth. I do look at Notre Dame next year and feel like that's a team that's good enough to make the playoff um, or contend to make the playoff. They play this year's schedule. <laughs> if they played this year's schedule for sure, um, that's that's the tricky part. Or it's it's either a curse or a gift. I'm not sure because you get a chance to like go on the road and get marquee wins in a way that they didn't this year. They just never had that opportunity. Um, also, that means you have to go to Ohio State and play a game, which is obviously very complicated. So at I don't know. I, I look at Notre Dame should contend for the playoff next year, even if they're 0 1 and, and lost by 14 points. Like, you're the only that, team to be Clemson, which yeah. who knows how they'll be, but like, I would think, yeah, it's like a signature win. You don't you get left, most years. If you left Columbus at 0 1, I still think it's reasonable to expect you're going to be 7 1 when Clemson comes. I'm not, I don't have Notre Dame's schedule committed to, to memory yet. Yeah, I mean, BYU should be good. USC's yeah. at the end of the year will be better. Um, right. I think if if you have one loss when Clemson visits, like I think you would feel pretty good about that if you're Notre Dame. Then you take your chances with that. Um, and if you get that, then you kind of roll forward from there and and see what happens. You know, you got BC with Dracovic on Senior Day, and then you go to we'll see what USC looks like. But if it's Caleb Williams USC, like that's going to be a hell of a challenge too. But again, it's like it's a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because like it's a marquee win on the road. It's a curse because you have to get it. Um, but I I would think that if Notre Dame, if you said, hey, Notre Dame, you've got one loss when Clemson visits, you'd be like, all right, we'll do that. Um, then you, you sort of take your chances in November at that point. It's January 13th. How What's the over-under on how long we have to wait for a line for this uh, Ohio State game? What do you think that line will be? Ooh. I don't know, like. What do you think? Like eight and a half? I'm not good at this stuff. Oh, for points? Yeah. Um, I feel like most of these usually come out in like May. Okay. I feel like now that like more and more states are like legalizing gambling, you'll just see it sooner. So I'll say April. Um, uh, I think Ohio State will be about 10. Okay. Okay. I mean, part of me says like, look, look what Oregon just did there this year. The other part of me says, Ohio State was a really good football team this year and just hired one of the best defense coordinators in the country. And they have a Heisman finalist quarterback entering his second year as a starter. And all those receivers are losing. Well, guess what? We all watch the Rose Bowl. <laughs> that position is okay. going anywhere. Um, I think it's going to be an incredibly tall ask of Notre Dame to go in there and win. But you know what? It's going to be really fun to see them try and to prepare for that game and watch that game. Like that's and it's on campus. Like Georgia plays Oregon in week one as well. And that's, and I mean, Georgia's a better team, but they're playing their former defense coordinator in his first game, Dan Lanning. But it's in Atlanta, which, you know, is a Georgia home game, but it's just not the same as going to no. the horseshoe. Um, and I think that's really, really cool that they're like 
we're having a cool on-campus game like that. Even Georgia Clemson this year, awesome game, but it was in Charlotte. Yeah, there's just not a need for that. Like I, I, it was awesome when Georgia came here, and then when Notre Dame went to Georgia, uh, when Texas came here, and then Notre Dame went to Texas. Like that just felt huge, Um, and you felt like you were getting something unique. Like Ohio State for how much they played in Fiesta Bowls. You know, this series goes back like. 20 years, 25 years, you know, mid mid nineties, the tail end of the Lou Holtz era. Luke fickle. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that, that, that is going to be really cool to experience that. I'm assuming we will be doing a live shamrock before and after, uh, live. Oh, like the, the live ones we did a couple weeks ago, like person. No, I mean, you and me will be together in Columbus with our colleague, Bill Landis, who covers Ohio state. Um, let's do it. We can do it at Land Grant Brewing, but uh, it it's just I I'm already looking forward to that environment, like the Friday night being in Columbus for a, a Saturday night game, and just sort of like what the buzz is going to be like that. Uh, you know, aside from the narrative of Marcus Freeman going back there, and there's a lot to that, but it's just going to be a cool college football environment. I'm fascinated to sort of see how Notre Dame spends the next seven months getting ready for it, whether it be staff or personnel or practice, whatever. Uh, there's, there's a lot of ground to cover and, but man, that that's going to be a fun Saturday night in Columbus. It will. Um, oh, you think it's going to be a night game, huh? Yeah. I'm just, I'm sort of banking on that. I, I don't uh, think Fo- Fox I'm might make Fox that big noon. Oh, Fox has a right of first refusal. They're taking that. Then uh, as they should put the other one at night. I, I don't know what whatever time of the day it is. I can't wait for it. Hopefully it's noon because it means it's closer to happening than uh, <laughs> at eight o'clock. Yeah. But um, on that note, uh, I don't know if we'll have any emergency pods coming up, but we've said that before and have been wrong. Um, there's still staff hires to make, still portal additions probably to be made, um, and just a lot of stuff still to happen. Well, it's a long offseason, but there's a lot of interesting stuff happening uh, with Notre Dame football this year. Stuff that I've never covered Notre Dame football. I've never covered a Notre Dame football coaching search. You've covered like four or five of them, but all those but were it had like been very more small... than a decade. Like, yeah, I didn't have I didn't have kids uh, the last time I covered a Notre Dame coaching search. Like, it was a surreal experience to go through that. Um, I guess this was sort of what people in SEC do all the time, but. Yeah, it's just a, it's an entirely batch of new stories. It's going to be a fun off season, new coaches, new energy, uh, new recruiting vibes. Like all of that stuff is going to be fun. It's I think it'll be fun for fans to consume, but it's also enjoyable for people like you and me to sort of report it out and tell those stories. Oh, it's fun! Like they actually don't hate talking to us right now. They're well, usually the new coach is undefeated. This one unfortunately isn't, but he's still going into twenty twenty two with a clean slate and. Um, even though the, the initial honeymoon is over, the first full off season is always a fun time for uh, new beginnings for coaches and new places. So uh, we're both excited to tackle that this off season. No doubt. Well, the Shamrock will be with you all off season. Um, I think we'll probably do every other week, uh, ramp it up during spring ball once things are kind of heat up a little bit, but uh, yeah. And then we'll, we'll be here for your emergency podcast needs. If there's a new defensive coordinator tomorrow, we'll probably do a podcast immediately after. Uh, but uh, uh, there will be a lot to come uh, on our name staff and the Shamrock will be here to, to uh, entertain you 
for it as well as the athletic will be here to cover it and and catch up on all of it that way so until our next podcast um whenever that may be he's matt fortuna i'm pete sampson thanks for being with us on the latest episode of the shamrock